Welcome also to those worshipping with us online. We follow our series and uh, you would see that uh, we have this series that we are following through the weeks and you can follow us along and go to our website if you have missed any and we are on our second uh, we are on our second uh, uh, sermon and we cover chapter 2 and 3 but chapter 2 and 3 together there are 39 verses and i don't suppose we're going to uh, cover all that and i've just uh, focused on chapter 2 so chapter 2 there are 16 verses that we will cover and some of us would also know that uh, we have a midweek teaching session where our PIC introduced an overview of First Corinthians. You can go on to it and also have a brief so that you can follow uh, in this series. So chapter 2 has 16 verses and there are many nuggets of truth that we can pick up from there. But I just want to focus on that of wisdom. So just for this morning's um, meditation, let us think about wisdom where Paul talks about it. So let me read the scripture reading as we go along. Verse 1, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words of wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified and come to you in weakness and in fear in much and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom but on the power of God. Yet, among the mature, we do speak wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish. But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within? So also no one comprehends what is truly God's except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. Those who are unspiritual do not receive the gifts of God's Spirit, for they are foolishness to them, 
and they are unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Those who are spiritual discern all things, and they are themselves subject to no one else's scrutiny. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, as we come before you, we ask that you search our hearts, even as you enlighten us in your word, that we may receive with joy your word and serve you as intentional disciples. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we read chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, some of us might be tempted to think that maybe Paul is a little bit intellectual. What is he suggesting? Here he uses words like this in chapter 1. He mentioned that God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. Or quoting in chapter 1-2, he said, The world did not know God through wisdom. So what exactly is Paul suggesting? Is he against human wisdom? Is Paul perhaps suggesting that when you come through the doors of the church, you have to leave your brains outside, you know, leave your IQ and your intellect outside when you come in, so that you come and approach God. Or when you're about to pray, don't, don't put your human reasoning or even your skills, put that outside your prayer closet. Or when you do Bible study and read your devotion, put aside all human wisdom. Is Paul suggesting that? Well, we know of Paul as a person who's well-schooled. He probably received a PhD in theology or even in rhetoric. And we know of him as such an articulate speaker and also a debater. And look at how he, he wrote in his epistles. They were well-organized, well-thought through in all his arguments. Surely, Paul values human wisdom. And we think about Jesus, how Jesus says we are to love God with all our mind, suggesting that we worship God with our intellect. Don't put that aside. Or in Proverbs that says, all wisdom comes from the Lord. So do common sense and understanding. What did we just say in our, our unified call to worship? We say, eternal God, you are the power behind all minds. That is what we affirm. So Paul isn't suggesting that we leave our intellect or human uh, knowledge and wisdom aside. What Paul is concerned is how do we apply our human wisdom? And I think one of the things that Paul suggests here for us is he asks whether as we apply wisdom, does it divide, does it unite? And if we read chapter 1, 2, and 3, we realize that Paul was very cross. Paul was upset because in the church at Corinth, there were divisions. This kind of wisdom that they allowed to get into the culture of the church caused a lot of division within the church community. 
there were quarrels, there were jealousies, that were perpetuated. And Paul reminded them, as he starts chapter 2, in verse 1, he tells them that, do you remember when I came to you and you all came to believe and faith in Christ? It was just a simple gospel that was introduced to you. I didn't use eloquent words of wisdom. What I provided for you was just the cross, the message of the cross. And here we realize that Jesus for us is everything, all that we needed. He is the life, He is the wisdom, He is our righteousness by which we get our sanctification, our redemption. And all this is just by the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is the uniting truth for all of us. He mentioned again in Galatians to the church there, he says that we are united one in Christ Jesus, where we find that there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. We became one body, one household, one temple of God's Holy Spirit. Just that simple, plain message of Jesus Christ, Him crucified. However, in the Greek culture, many things came into play because the Greeks' desire for wisdom, more of it has to do with their intellectual pride and their spiritual pride. The Greeks, after all, go after the wise man, after the philosopher, after the scholar of their generation. Oh, they talk about their Plato's and talk about their Aristotle and their Socrates. So Paul said, I came without these lofty, eloquent words of persuasive words of wisdom. In fact, your debaters struck around with pride and confidence. I came in weakness, in fear and trembling, in the fear of the Lord. So what I offer you is plain message of the cross, which proved to be the power of God and proved to be the wisdom of of God. So where are we when we come for worship as we apply wisdom? Some people in the Corinth church were saying, I go after Paul because he's the great debater. And others say, I go after Apollos. Perhaps he's a great scholar. We like to listen to his message. Who wants to listen to Peter? You know, even up till now, Peter, when he speaks, has that Galilean fisherman accent. We don't like that. So there were all kinds of factions, all kinds of divisions within the church. They were playing one against another, all because of this desire for human wisdom. But, but we must ask ourselves, how does this happen in our church today? There was a church leader in my former church who related this story. This lady had three teenage boys who were really brilliant, brilliant in their studies. And she lamented that every Sunday, they have their Sunday lunch, and the family as they gather together at Sunday lunch, these three brilliant scholarly boys would take their time circling all the typo errors in the church bulletin, and laugh at the grammatical errors that were made in the bulletin. And then they would start talking about the preacher, 
talking about the mistakes the organist made or the mistakes the choir made or the worship leader makes. And she just laments that Sunday after Sunday, this is their Sunday takeaway because all they know is to pick fun about the mistakes on Sunday's worship. I know I speak to a highly educated congregation. You are sophisticated, you are overqualified. But the question is, with our gifts, our skills, our talents, our human wisdom, does it lead to unity? Does it lead to building up the church, glorifying God and holiness? Or does it lead to division, destruction and unholy living? As we see in the Corinthians church, that was bestowed with plentiful gifts that Paul affirmed in their church. So the question is, how are we applying our wisdom? The second thing is that Paul is talking about the application of wisdom with your head or with your heart. And Paul says to us, there is a wisdom of the world. It is mainly head knowledge wisdom. He doesn't rule that out. He says, yes, we know of all these wise people in the world. They, have the they are the wisdom of our rulers and wisdom of the age. Perhaps the Greeks were thinking about how educated, how qualified, how intelligent all these people were. And indeed they were. They thought about their wise men among them, their scholar among them, their philosophers among them, for the Greeks, and maybe for the Jews they remember the high priest, the Herods, the Pilots, the scribes, and the Pharisees. And Paul is trying to say to them, do you know for all these people, with all the head knowledge they have, they cannot grasp God's wisdom. To them, it is like secret and hidden. They cannot fathom the depths of God. It is like foolishness. It is like nonsense to them. So much so that they even crucified their Christ. The wisdom for them, these people perceived through their eyes. These people take in from what they can hear and what their hearts can conceive. All this, they are able to take in data, they are able to reason, analyze, and make decisions. But even then, they seem to miss everything. However, Paul is saying there's something else. God has prepared and God has revealed. To whom? To those who apply wisdom with their hearts. Those who come to God, not with clenched feet and folded hands, but come to Him with open arms and open hearts. Those who love Him, God reveals, God prepares those secrets, those mysteries, those things that are hidden from the wisest among them. That's what Paul is suggesting. Just like Jeremiah reminds us, when you search for me, God says, you will find me if you search me with all your heart. With all your heart. 
So what is our posture as we apply wisdom? Do we come with clenched fists and folded arms? Do we come with open hands, open hearts before the Lord, seeking Him with all that we are? Someone has asked, how is it I get nothing from reading my Bible? How is it I get very little from praying? How is it when I come on church service on Sunday and I leave, I don't seem to get anything from the Lord? I think Paul will put it this way, based on what he has written. Paul says, if you truly offer and seek after God with all our hearts, God will reveal. God will reveal His secret and hidden wisdom, which He has decreed before the ages for our glory. And we will be able to grasp and decipher even the depths of God. So it comes down with our posture as we read the Bible, our posture as we come for worship, our posture as we listen to a sermon. We come with clenched feet and folded arms. We come with open hands and open hearts as we apply wisdom. What is it? It is in our posture. Because it makes a difference. It makes a difference whether we come as a sincere seeker of God or we come like that as a spectator on Sunday. We come reading the Bible as a follower. Or we come reading the Bible as a critic. We come asking God in prayer as a lover. Or we come as a skeptic even when we say our prayers. That is the question. And thirdly, when it comes to applying of our wisdom, Paul is suggesting here that we need to understand that there is a conflict, spiritual and the unspiritual. They are often conflicted. So Paul gives us an example. Paul says that, don't you know that when you want to understand a person better or get to know a person better, you need to get into the inside of this person in order to understand the person's thoughts and mind. So too, for the spiritual, for us to decipher the mind of Christ, the thoughts of God, we need to go through His Holy Spirit. And His Holy Spirit does reveal, does reveal for us in many and varied ways. But human wisdom, worldly wisdom, the unspiritual, it is limited. They cannot cross a line where the spiritual can fathom. They just cannot interpret. Verse 13. They can't, they can't understand. They can't discern. They cannot receive the gifts of the Spirit. Verse 14. They just can't figure out what is the mind of Christ. To them, it is foolishness and nonsense. It seems as though it is a problem they have to fix because they are conflicted with the spiritual. Sometimes they may even have to crucify. 
I came from a non-Christian background. My home, my family were all non-believers. But my parents sent me to a mission school, sent me to ACS. And at the age of 13, through the ministry of the Boys Brigade, I became the first Christian in my home. I later joined the MYF, was active in leadership. But when it came to the issue of baptism, my parents were always resistant. And so I was only a teenager, depending on them, and so I was obedient to my parents. And so I thought, perhaps when I turned 21, that would be an opportune time. And so my 21st birthday came, and there they gave me a birthday surprise celebration. And I thought to myself, when I reached 21, and on that day I had just passed out from officer cadet school in the army. And I thought to myself, here I am, I'm qualified as a second lieutenant in the infantry, and I'm qualified enough to lead a platoon of men into battle. Surely I can talk about my baptism now. And so I brought the issue up during the birthday party, and boy, was I wrong. <laughs> the whole party went upside down, and everyone was against me. And, uh, you know, the whole night's discussion or argument was all about this and that, but it is basically about my desire to get baptized. The end of the night, my mother was weeping and crying, my father was very angry with me, although he gave his consent for baptism. And my siblings, they were really angry with me for spoiling a good party. <laughs> that evening, I remembered uh, thinking about it and how they made me feel so ungrateful, so unfilial, so insensitive, so rash, and betraying them. But when I look back on this incident, I realized that that was a very important step. It opened the way, eventually, for my family coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So I say, oftentimes, when we think about the spiritual and the unspiritual, there will always be a conflict. Because to the best of my parents' love and care for me, this unspiritual just can't fathom. What is the mind of Christ? What the spiritual wants as we are guided by the Holy Spirit? And Jesus reminds us, do not think that I have come to bring peace on, in the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Oftentimes, we think that as we receive the guidance of the Holy Spirit, it will open the way, you know, the Red Sea will somehow part. But many times, many times, the spiritual and the unspiritual are conflicted. And the unspiritual look upon us as foolish, rash, and a problem they have to solve. Think about why they eventually crucified their Messiah. Persecuting Christians, putting them to death, oppressing others. 
This morning, perhaps as we come together, some of us are in this journey. We face great persecutions where we are, at home, in our workplace, in our school, or whatever station in life we find ourselves. We humbly obey the mind of Christ, and yet everyone or the world seems to be against us. Our loved ones, our family, people who understand us best still think we are going in the wrong direction, we are choosing foolishness. But there again, the Lord provides His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us affirmation in our hearts, wisdom and guidance that we need, the gifts of the Spirit, the power we need to face each day's challenges. And Paul reminds us that peace that surpasses human understanding in our hearts and our minds. So this morning, as we think about wisdom that Paul tells us, we ask ourselves as we apply wisdom, is it an application that unites us as a church, as a community, or does application of our wisdom divide? Do we build up? Do we bless? Do we encourage? Or does that wisdom lead to destructive ends and unholiness? And in our application of our wisdom, do we apply with our hearts, our hands and our hearts open to the Lord? Or we come with our heads like clenched fists and folded arms? Do we apply our wisdom and recognize that there's often that conflict, the spiritual and the unspiritual? We will always be faced with difficulties in this world because our culture and the forces of this world are against the mind of Christ and the spiritual. But along with that comes the enabling of the Holy Spirit, His presence, His gifts, is enabling for every challenge in our walk and discipleship. Let us close in prayer. Let us pray. <coughs> Lord Jesus, this morning as we ponder on your words in 1 Corinthians 2, we ask that you lead us to use our gifts and wisdom you have given us to your glory, that we come with hearts open to you to serve you and to unite and agree as a church in all things, one mind, as we learn the mind of Christ and follow with our gifts and talents. We also want to pray for those who, because of their obedience to the mind of Christ, face great persecutions in their lives. We pray for your hand of comfort, of your presence and your peace. Continue to give them your enabling and strength for each day's challenge, 
Because we know that the world hates you and all that belongs to you. So together we bring ourselves to you and ask that you lead us on and give us wisdom as we live our lives as your intentional disciples. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.